Good morning, church. Today we are continuing our sermon series over the Psalms of Ascent, also called the Pilgrim Songs. Uh, Beloved, as we move through this life, marching on towards the glory God has prepared for his people, let's just be honest, danger is all about us. We just prayed for safety because we, we know that there is real danger in this world. For the pilgrim's path has always been a perilous plight. In the days of our ancestors who lived in ancient Israel, who penned these psalms, things like war, violence, famine, disease, and oppression were always a real threat to them. There's always a tyrant, mob, or pagan ideology that seeks the destruction, seduction, and assimilation of the people of God. And it's during such turbulent times that every generation of pilgrims that has ever walked has the temptation to lower our eyes from heaven and look on our current predicament. We lower our eyes from the throne of Jesus and we stare at what's in front of us. We stare at the TV screens. We stare at the newspapers. And in doing so, we grow faint-hearted and defeated. And we start to doubt the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a difference in this dark world. We begin to say things like, man, the old days were better. It was better back when I was a kid. Or, man, I really hope Jesus comes back today. Or now he'll come back. For sure he'll come back now. It's so bad, there's no way he wouldn't come back now. Or even in great despair... That soul may even say something along the lines of, where is God? Where is he? Therefore, we need to be reminded constantly, constantly, church, of the saving power of our God and King. Because just as it was true for our ancestors, singing this psalm on their pilgrim trips up to Jerusalem, it's true for us today. God saves and delivers his chosen people. God saves his people. And Psalm 124 is the pilgrim's great confession of our need to trust in this truth. And as our simple main point for this morning, church, is that this, is that we are to trust in God's salvation. We're to trust it, not just wish for it, not just give mental assent to it, but we trust God's salvation. So if you can and are willing, please stand for the reading of the 124th Psalm. You know, this just came to me, but as the scripture comes up on the screen, these are meant to be sung. We, I'm not musical whatsoever, so we're not going to sing it. But let's read it together. It's on the screen. This is a communal confession. So let's read together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. 
The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lonnie Blackburn, would you be so kind to pray for the congregation? Amen. You may be seated. Church, as we just recited loudly and joyfully, the psalm proclaims the simplicity that God's salvation really is real for his people. It's, it's real, and we're to trust in this deliverance and help. And this simple truth that we're to trust in that God saves his people, it's developed over three sections in this psalm, which become very convenient three preaching points today. The first being we trust God's salvation by first recognizing our reality. We trust in God's salvation by first recognizing reality. The psalm begins with a series of if-then statements, and the author is using them to show us what our reality is really like. God's people are always facing danger. Our enemies are real. And if God is not on our side... If God does not act, if God does not do something, there is no hope. It's game over. End of story. Because there's no hope, there's no life, there's no security, there's no victory. Church, there's not even the possibility of these things. Zero chance probability or possibility of these things separate from having the Lord Almighty on our side to fight for us, protect us, and save us, his chosen people. And this has been true since the beginning. For example, when the children of Israel, they were getting ready to enter the promised land, they sent some spies. They thought that was a good idea. We're going to go send some spies in to check out the land. And they do, and they bring back all the good produce of the land. And they're like, look at all this great stuff that God's promised us. But there's giants in the land, there's enemies in the land, there's people that want to kill us, and we're normal size, and they're pretty big, and um, short story, many of this familiar to you, they gave the bad report. They said, this task is impossible. God may have promised, but there's no way. We can't do this. We're going to die. This is a suicide mission. So much so, they persuade the people, they begin to conspire, this small group of guys that go into spy come back, and then convince the entire congregation to say, you know what, it's actually better for us to go back to being slaves to the place that made us abort and kill our children. It's better for us to go back there, to the place where we had to throw our children in the Nile. That's better than trusting God and going forward. And they, almost, they wanted to kill Moses because of this. Well, God didn't like that. He doesn't like it when people call him a liar. And he decreed that that generation would not enter the promised land. Very familiar story if you were raised in church. But the people didn't like that either. They, didn't, they wanted to go back, and then they're sad that they're in trouble, but now they don't want to not go back, and they don't not want to enter the promised land, and they don't want to wander around the wilderness like God said. So here's what they do. All right, it says, well, 
We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. But Moses said, Why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? Do not go up. Don't do this. For the Lord is not among you, lest you be struck down before your enemies. For there the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you if you do this. But they presumed to go up anyways to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, which was God's presence for his people, nor the prophet Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them, and it was a great slaughter. Numbers 14, 40 through 45. Church, the people tried to fight on their own strength, And God did not deliver them, and many died. Incidents like this happen throughout the entire Old Testament because it's an ever-present reality. Salvation or deliverance, different terms, same idea, belongs to the Lord and to him alone. There's no success for the people of God separate from our king. That's a non-reality. And to make the point clear... Three times the author of the psalm stresses the absolute hopelessness of our perilous plight that we may try to do life without God by using such vivid language as like being swallowed up by our enemies as if they were a great and raging beast or being swept away in a massive flood or tidal wave leaving nothing in its wake or drowning in the deep and bottomless waters and having no one to help you. He's using this graphic language to really hammer home to the singer and to the reader that we are absolutely hopeless if the Lord is not with us. Because without God on our side, there is no hope, there's no life, there's no victory, there is only death and destruction outside of being under the banner of the Lord. And all of this is a perfect illustration concerning our salvation and the full sense of the Christian message and who we were before we came to know Christ Jesus as Lord. For if it had not been for Christ, and every Christian in good conscience can say something like this, maybe different words, but the story would be the same. If it's not for Christ, we would have been swept away with the wicked. If it wasn't for Christ, we would have been devoured by the demonic powers. If it wasn't for Christ, we would have drowned in the depths of our sin and depravity. For outside of Christ Jesus, there is only death and destruction for every soul because they have loved their sin and hated God and hated his righteousness. For scripture says that everyone who does wickedness hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And church, we know the answer. We know what happens to those outside of Christ. We know the end of that person. It's only judgment that leads to damnation. And Jesus compares this. When Jesus talks about hell and judgment, many times in the Gospels, he compares it to an eternally burning trash dump where there's worms and devouring and there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth and there's smoke in the eyes and there's wailing. It's like it's 
ugly, vivid pictures Jesus uses. But it's real. That's reality for those outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Church, we were dead men at one time, rotting, stinking, walking dead, who hated God and hated other people and loved ourselves and loved our sin. But according to God's great love and compassion, his mercy and his grace, just like Lazarus, he has called us out of the tomb. He's called us out of the darkness and into the salvation of his son. So do not doubt, beloved. God is on our side. God is on our side, church. He gave his son so we would not be devoured. He gave his son so we would not be swept away with the wicked. He gave his son so we would not drown in sin and despair and in the darkness. For this is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. And those whom have received this salvation, who have trusted in Jesus' cross, we must respond rightly to God's saving grace, which is our second preaching point. Responding rightly to the saving grace of the Lord. The psalm moves from our reality that God is on our side, Christ has saved us, to the only proper response, which is to worship. The middle portion of the psalm says, after giving us all the if-then statements of this, the utter hopelessness of being outside of God and having a relationship with him, it moves on to praise. He says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. It's rejoicing. It's worship. It's praise for who God is and what he's done for his people. He has saved us from the pit. He has saved us from those who want to harm us. And this idea of worship as a response is normal when God saves his people. Whenever God delivers his people and does these dramatic salvation the people always respond in worship and in praise. It happens all the time throughout the story of the Bible. For example, after the Red Sea, when Pharaoh, crazy false king, God-man Pharaoh, was chasing the people of God, he thought it was a good idea to chase them through a parted ocean. Like, that's insane. But he did. And what happened to them, church? God killed the Egyptians trying to kill his people. And on the other side of the Red Sea, the Israelites gathered, and they sang. They worshipped. It's called the Song of Moses. Exodus 15. The people are singing, and Moses is leading them in worship. He goes, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And we see this same song 
again in Revelation 15, only it's modified now to not just that God saved his people from the slavery of Egypt in the past, but in Revelation 15, it says they combine it with the Psalm of the Lamb or the Song of Jesus, and they mix these two deliverance because Jesus is our final salvation, the final deliverance. Revelation 15 says the saints sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. And here's what they sing in heaven. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because you are right, because your righteous acts have been revealed. Church, Worship is the only response that ever makes sense to God's saving power because salvation is a gift. You can't earn it and you can't be worthy of it. You know, Christmas just passed and kind of a negative example, but how many times when you get a gift for Christmas or your birthday, what's our first impulse when we get that gift? Oh, I better now buy blank for somebody, right? They got me a gift. I better get them a gift. Or if you get a bunch of Christmas cards, you're like, man, we never send Christmas cards. I guess now we have to send Christmas cards. You know, we get that impulse. We're like, oh, they blessed me. I better give them a gift back. But that mentality means what you got ain't really a gift. If there be strings attached for reps, I can't pronounce it, to reciprocate, it ain't really a gift. And you and I, Christians, what what can we repay God? Salvation's not like that. There's nothing you can give God. There's nothing he needs from you. He just chooses to give you the gift of salvation. Our only logical response is to get on our knees and to worship him for who he is and what he's done. That we were in the grave and he saved us. And he didn't have to. God does not owe us mercy. But he gives it. And I don't doubt he loves to give it. There's nothing we can repay our God for what he's done for us. Nothing. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Church, we can never repay God for giving his son. We can only accept it by faith and trust his salvation with grateful hearts. You cannot pay God back, and God doesn't expect you to. So if your Christian life is modeled around, um, now that I've accepted Jesus, if I don't serve Jesus, and I want to say this carefully, we serve out of love. That's the best way to think about it. You serve out of a grateful love for Jesus, not out of duty. Because Christian duty, while it's true, Anyone who's been married knows that when we have only duty to our spouse, it will not carry you very long. We must genuinely love the Lord and love him because he saved us. And this is the message, this worship, this gratefulness that we live by. It's the message of hope the church lives by. It's it's what gives us strength for everyday life for obedience, for enduring persecution, for loving God with all our heart, for loving our neighbors, for loving our enemies. It's the humble and reverent confession of the church. 
our acknowledgement of our weakness, brokenness, and depravity in God's salvation. Our message of our church that we recite regularly takes different forms, but the core of it is this. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The psalm ends with this. We recite this reverently in our lives individually and as a church together. This is our hope. God is my helper. God is your helper. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And these, this short phrase contains so much power. And anyone who has been raised to new life in Christ Jesus understands this, that their help is from God. This is what drives the apostles to say things like this. This is from Romans. Paul says this. He says, what are we to say to these things and about these things? Talking about salvation. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with us grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect or God's chosen people? God is the one who declares righteous. God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. No, the apostle says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of this is because our help is in the name of the Lord, the one who made the heavens and the earth. And if you cannot claim this as true today, if you cannot pick up on this and say, you know, God's not really my helper. I, I'm not in salvation. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, then there is no hope for you. That's, that's a part of what we have to tell people the truth. It's a part of the gospel. Outside of Christ, there's, there's nothing for you. You may live a comfortable life. We live in a very well-established nation. You may have heating and air conditioning, cars and money and children and wives and houses and all those things, but you really don't have anything. God's not your helper. You are still lost in your sins. This song of trusting God's salvation does not belong to you. You are without hope and without God in this world. And the only thing that you can do is what the church has been preaching for 2,000 years concerning this Jesus. The book of Acts has many sermons over how people are to respond to Jesus. And the very first Christian sermon in the book of Acts concludes like this. Peter stands up to the crowds and they say, Peter, you've talked to us about this Jesus. Like, what do we do? And he says, here's what you need to do. You've heard this gospel. You've heard that this Jesus loves you. You've heard that this Jesus died for you for your sins so you could be forgiven so you don't have to face the wrath of God for what you've done. Here's what you need to do in response to that message. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of salvation is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
If you have not bent the knee to Jesus Christ, that's what you must do. Confess him as Lord, receive him, and you will be able to sing this psalm and say, this is true of me. And for you Christians today, the church as a whole, when you think about this, and you think about your life, and you think about the problems you may go through, which are common to all men, right? We all go through similar phases of life. Everybody gets old. Everybody's parents will die. You know, we, we all go through the same common struggles, and yet everybody has unique problems they will face. When you look at these things, can you confidently look at them and say, the Lord is my helper? Is that your attitude, or is it more like God has forsaken me? Why do you let this happen to me, Lord? Our flesh wants to go to that latter side, right? To doubt God's love and power. But church, this pilgrim song is to fire your heart to say, God's salvation is real. My life belongs to him and he is my helper. Trust in the Lord's salvation because salvation is not just the moment you cross from death to life in Christ Jesus when you became Christian. Salvation is the entire Christian life lived. Do you trust this Jesus day to day, finances, marriage, everything? Everything falls under the banner of Christ. Do you trust him in everything? And that is something that we all need to work on. So when you look at life in the face and you see the problems coming down the pipe and you know, like, man, this hurts. This is real. Especially when you bring that pain into worship and it's hard to see God's goodness, even when we sing these songs. Let this be written on your heart. Trust in God's salvation. The Lord is your helper. We're going to enter a time of some prayer and reflection now. If you need to come and pray, if you need someone to pray with you, like, Adam, please pray with me because I can't see God's help right now. We would do that for you. Or if you just need some alone time, or if you've not received this Christ, know that God is not your helper and you need to repent and call upon the Lord. Else there's no goodness for you in this life and no goodness afterwards. Let's pray and enter a time of reflection. Father God, we come before you with this simple psalm that demands us to trust in you. Help us not be like our ancestors who, when they saw the giants of the land, when they saw the good promises, they would weigh both in their hands and say, I know God has promised us good things, but this is impossible. God has forsaken us. Let me go back. I pray, God, for your mercy that you would deliver us from evil thoughts because following you is worth it. And we can't love you and follow you in our own strength. Holy Spirit, lead us now Whatever was meant to be heard by the audience, by your people today, work that in their hearts. Push the buttons of many hearts today, Lord, including my own. Work in us and help us with great confidence declare the truth of this psalm. The Lord is my helper. In Christ Jesus, we give glory and praise.